0: This episode of the Tome Show is brought to you by Galders Gazetteer, Advanced Rules for Your Game, and also Fights Cancer, and by our patrons. You can join them over at patreon.com slash thetomeshow. Welcome to the Tome Book Club of June 2021. The Tome is a D&D news, reviews, and Interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Tracy Hurley.
1: And I'm Jeff Greiner. In each book club episode, we discuss one D&D-related book, spoilers be damned, in full book club style. And our book this time around is Dragons of Spring Dawning by Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman.
0: And with us as always is Eric Paquette.
1: Bonjour. hello. Bonjour.
0: So the next episode, which we're going to record near the end of August, we'll be talking about Children of Virtue and Vengeance by Tomi Adayami.
1: Which is the second book in the... What was the name of the series? Orisha? Was that the... Something like that. Yeah, I
0: don't but. remember this series, but... Was well, it the first one, The Children of Blood and Bone?
1: Blood and Bone, yeah. Yep. yeah. <laughs> the audiobook entry that I have is not going to tell me right away what it is.
0: But, the, uh, the, but there we are.
1: That's fine. Uh, before we get into that, though, I want to say thank you to our sponsor, Galdars Gazetteer. Uh, that it's a product that takes your game to a new level with advanced rules for all kinds of stuff and the support to help make it happen. Uh, and it also raises money as you when you buy that book, the proceeds go to uh, re- cancer research because because we're going to cure cancer through gaming. Uh, look for links to information about the the story of how Galder's Gazetteer came to be and um, where to find the book. Uh, in the show notes at thetomeshow.com. The wizard Galder has traveled to many, many worlds. Along his journey, he took notes on the mysterious and fantastic things he encountered. Many of the secrets he learned are chronicled now in Galder's Gazetteer, published by Zipperon Games. Galder's Gazetteer is a fifth edition D&D supplement that is an advanced expansion of the game rules, including new actions, conditions and martial options that are all fully integrated into new classes, archetypes, ancestries, feats, spells, and DM tools, plus adventures for both 5th and 15th level to highlight these advanced rules options. Calder's Gazetteer was inspired by a gamer named Lawrence who is dying of a rare form of cancer and wanted his character to be remembered in the annals of D&D lore. 100% of the proceeds for this book are donated to the Cancer Research Institute you can find Galder's Gazetteer at drivethroughrpg.com at the regular price of $35 for a PDF or $47 for a print-on-demand physical copy. You can find more about Lawrence's story at Lawrence'sCampaign.blog. Check out the show notes for links. All right, now on to the book. We read Dragons of Spring Dawning. It is book three in the Dragonlance Chronicles series uh or trilogy which is as i recall i'm trying to remember this history off the top of my head i didn't like look up the wikipedia page ahead of time like i sometimes do uh but the dragonlance chronicles series as i recall um weiss and hickman basically ran the the game and wrote the books and wrote the adventure modules more or less at the same time uh, and that they were some of the first D anD D novels and adventures. Does anybody remember? Uh, if I'm horribly wrong about some of this, from what I'm gathered, though, at least the
2: legend of those books—that's how it is. And, mm-hmm. uh, I think I read it. Yes, that is correct. Where yeah. uh, books? I, I've read the adventures. I've, uh, I've never run, never played or run it, but I have read them read the books so okay so are they he, are the uh, adventures are the adventures decent the adventures decent they okay. follow a sort of a sort of troop style play okay because like in the books you have separation of the characters yes. at different places so they have here's a module following these characters here's a module for these characters so okay if you're playing Tasselhoff and you're not in a scenario for the Tasselhoff, you either don't show up or you play a different character because they add other characters in the adventure. For those, also, oh, you do get a a mix of different characters and yeah. you could possibly have a different G- DM take over of some, certain uh, mm. lines. See, Plus I, they I...
1: have... A, I admit to being a little bit distracted at times thinking through that original sort of lore of where this all came from and thinking to myself, wait a minute, if this character has like gone away, where did that player go? If this was a a game they were playing, (laughs) like, uh, because one of the things, for example, one of the things that happens in in this book is uh, Gold Moon and Riverwind um, sort of step out of the adventure. And I'm like, well. Is that a couple of players who had to stop playing or moved away or, or whatever? Or you know what happened here? But if it's a troop style play, then then yeah. they they needed to set the troop sizes to the right numbers for the players they had, and then that's how they can jump yeah. around a little bit. Yeah.
2: There's even one scenario which is it: you get to play the whole war in a war game format, and they indicated that that you can have certain if you have certain battles. How to put the adventure influence that in house, mixing both and stuff like that. So it was. It's a very ambitious. Yeah. Uh,
1: so. so so, Dragons of Spring Dawning is the the third and final ish book of the Chronicles, and I say that. I don't know. I originally, in my youth, said that with some hesitancy uh, because, to my th- middle school mind the most important and most interesting character in the whole thing was Raceland, and Raceland's story is not encapsulated in these three books it's encapsulated in the in this these three books and the three books that come afterwards um and so if you're looking at his story it is not a satisfying conclusion to things uh in this but uh,
2: Yes, mention. Do mention about that story to Tasselhoff? Say it again. There's the line at the end, at the end, where Fisban Oh yeah, yeah. Paladin mentioned the fact that, he,
1: that yeah. he, will have a story to. Yeah, no. The the uh, absolutely. I mean, one could argue foreshadows, but in many ways, just outright spoils uh, Tasselhoff yeah. on 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 what the next set of books is going to be about, right? Yeah. Um, uh, and so, yeah. Spoilers. <laughs> All right. there were some other moments earlier that sort of foreshadowed what the next series was going to be about. But Fizbin's line there was like, "Oh no, that's just what's going to happen in the next story." Um, yeah. So, but but that said, I had an extremely different experience reading this book this time around than I remembered having reading the book when I was young. Um. I think, and I mentioned this to Tracy after a recording last week. I think it was, um, yeah. My, yeah. My experience with this book originally was very different because I was in a very different mindset. Like by the time I got to this book, the only story I really cared about at all was Raceland's story, and I and I think I said to Tracy that really it was probably because I was tied up in this this um, this you know power fantasy. Of Raceland, right? I saw, you know, Raceland is. An outcast who was physically weaker, but but believed himself to be mentally superior to all of everybody else. And honestly, that was one hundred percent me at the age of like twelve or thirteen. Right? I was an outcast. I was a geek. I was overweight. Uh, you know, so I was physically inferior. But I but I was convinced that I was smarter than everybody else. Right? Uh, and so Raceland was absolutely. I followed Raceland's story absolutely with the idea in mind of like, oh oh, see see, someday I'm gonna have the power. Someday I'm gonna the wind, right uh and so all <laughs> of the rest of the story like completely disappeared for me in my youth uh and 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 it's unfortunate because like one of my impressions of of the dragonland stories and even going back into it i'm like this Barum character is weird it doesn't really get the development it just sort of pops up out of nowhere and, and ends up kind of being a MacGuffin and not really that big of a deal and it's not one of our main characters or whatever and now my second time going through it the first two books i kind of had that impression of him and then by the third book i realized no i was just wrong because i didn't read the book very thoroughly the first time i read it right
2: yeah and the first two books i also Barham was just mentioned right. as people know but in the this one you actually you actually yeah. get to interact with him yeah throughout yeah. the whole story and,
1: and i mean i and i there. and i think there's a little bit of like my first impression from my youth of Barum is a li- feel still feels a little bit true because he is the character with which the entire fate of the universe sort of hinges. And, and he just sort of pops up with little cameos for like two thirds of the story. <laughs> so, uh, so it is a little bit like out of nowhere that like, I, I don't know, I was of the mind that like the most important characters should be the ones we're telling the story about, not this sort of side character that kind of popped up every now and then. Um, so that much is still kind of true. But I didn't realize I, I had forgotten how much the development there is, and I and I feel like as we talk about it as a game, uh, and how they ran it, I kind of feel like by book three here there were moments where Barum became a PC.
2: Possibly. To me, or you might have had a guest appearance by someone right. who joined the game.
1: What's up? So. so. So anyway, we haven't really talked about where this (laughs) book picks up. Um, This book, I felt like picked up more immediately after the second book, if I remember correctly, right? There was a a sizable gap between book one and book two. Like there there were whole adventures that took place in between book one and book two that we only ever got like, hints of that this thing exist, happened and it's really important, but we're just going to tell you that it happened and it was important to move on, right? It's one of my complaints, I guess, about the series is that it has this tendency to be like, here's a really important thing that happened, but we don't really care about that thing that happened. We only care about the after effects of, of why it matters. Uh, and so they never really tell, told that story. Now, in fairness, that also gave them an opportunity to write a bunch of spin-off sort of side quest books that told, I think, some of those stories. Um but this book, I feel, I felt like did that less. Does that sound? I can. The only instance of that happening this time around, I think, was uh, um discovering what was happening with the good dragon eggs. Yeah. that happened off camera, but it, but it kind of it was better explained. They kind of told the story in character, and it kind of worked better, I think.
2: Yeah. Because uh, yeah, we we. Pick up about five days after Tanis has been discovered, La- La- Indian in Book Two, two discovered by Kiara. Mm. five days he's left Katiara because she's gone to battle.
1: Yeah, uh, that's that's where we left off last time, right? Is that um, Tanis and and much of the crew, not all of them, but much of the party had ended up in the town of Floatsum. Um, Tannis was mistaken for a, a dragon officer in the, the army of, of Tachesis or Tachesis or how did the audiobook pronounce it? Tracy, do you remember? I don't remember. I feel like they, they leaned heavily into the Isis, like it was Tachesis, yeah. um, which is a pronunciation I never heard growing up, but, um, I've always preferred Tachesis. So, um, but yeah, so, it, so, oh yeah.
0: Just real quick, if I recall correctly, I didn't read all of Dragonlance book two because that was like when the was that when the pandemic hit.
1: Oh, I don't remember. I had forgotten that you never uh, read all of book two.
0: Yeah, so that's yeah. why it's a little hard. for sure. me. Yeah. I think that's probably I, I went right into the deep end and was like, oh my yeah. god, what happened? What happened you, to these people?
1: You you missed the the death of Sturm. You missed um, you missed the the splitting of the party. Lorana becoming a main character. Um, I mean she was kind of a main character in book one but she really steps into her own by book three yeah so
0: and probably some of that Kitiara stuff because so
1: some of the development of Kitiara um what yeah that, that's that's one of the things where like Kitiara is a really big deal character as well that I felt <laughs> like had this exponential growth in terms of development. Like she was kind of mentioned in book one. She kind of, we kind of learned a little bit more about it in book two. And then by book three, she's like a super major character, right? So she's a huge deal. I mean, she was kind of a huge deal before, uh, before, but you, you, but only because you were being told she was a huge deal more than being shown that she was a huge deal. Yeah.
0: When I don't think I picked up in the earlier stuff, like that she was going like to basically be on the opposite side of everyone else, it could have just been I missed it. But oh. when I we started off this book with that, like that, I was like, "Oh my god, where are we?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What
1: now,
0: happened in, in <laughs> book one? They
1: sort of discussed that she, as I recall, they discussed that she went off on her own and she was off, you know, oh. seeking her fortune as a mercenary or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I don't remember if it's in book one that you learn that she's joined the dragon armies but by book 2 it's only, it's only in book 2 that you learn that she's joined Okay the, the so dragon. in book 2 you find out that not only she is she in the dragon armies but she's like one of the generals one of the high lords um and that shows up in the big battle where they kill Sturm.
2: So not till the end of book 2 that you really learn that she's oh, okay. oh she looks it's Kiara it was just Leading this dragon army,
1: and I'll tell you what the the Kitiara's role almost exclusively focuses on her former relationship and her former and current relationship with Tanis Like that is the entire focus of her connection to the party. To the point that I sometimes forget she's also Raceland and Caramon's sister, and that should be a really big deal, you know? Yeah.
0: That was the ba- that was the thing. It was like it was like this family with Tanis along. and then, oh, well, now she's on the other side. right. And it's really hard because she's the only female character who owns her sexuality. Mm. And now she's on the bad side. And it keeps getting brought up in terms of like her sharing her bed with various people and then the inner the, the attempted exchange of prisoners quote unquote mm-hmm. uh is all about that thing instead of her her power like her act- like why is she a general is it just because of who she slept with like mm-hmm. it's really unclear from the books of what <laughs> what is going on there
1: you see the development and growth of lorana in a lot of ways but it's a lot less about her sexuality you know, you, you watch Lorana sort of grow from a hangers-on at the beginning of the, the story in book one to to growing to being the, the golden general. And at one point uh, at, at the end, we're just skipping all over the place in the story, but one point at the end, just completely rejecting Tannis because she's like, no, I don't need you to save me. I'm, I'm the shit here. Like, I'm going to take care of this. Thank you.
0: Right. But, but no real love life to speak of at all. And then, uh, is it Goldmoon is out of the story for this one because surprise, she's pregnant, (laughs) and so thus can't can't participate in anything important. Has to go. (laughs) So I'm sorry. I just child like (laughs) I checked out of the book in some ways because I just Mm. people had told me that this was a really strong series for female characters, and I just don't see it.
1: Oh, yeah. I don't know that I would have put this up as a really strong series for female characters. I think it has some strengths compared to its peers from the time that it was published maybe. Um, right. But but it also has its flaws, right? Yeah. There are, th- there are definitely characters that could have been portrayed as strong female characters that didn't have to be men for any part of the story except that that was the standard in fantasy. That still is the standard of fantasy, right? Yep.
0: And, and it's like, so one of the jokes I always make about Wheel of Time has to do with like the pulling the braids all the time, because that's what all the female characters And this one, it's just um, also if I could go without hearing another, she'd get a really good price on the slave markets. Oh, right. Uh, <laughs> <conversation> <laughs> that was throughout the entire book.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, just
0: being honest. <laughs> no, yeah, That's it, it's a thing. It's,
1: it's in the book often well and yeah. and, you, and you get it i'm trying to think ahead because again it's been decades since i've read the since i read these books the first time but i'm thinking about the the second trilogy the legends trilogy that really follows the story of Raceland um uh, as well and I, I as i recall tika shows up there as well um yes. but it also has very problematic issues with depictions of rape uh where where, Raceland falls in love with a woman and then rapes her, uh, as I recall. But it's again, it's been decades, so I might be remembering slightly off. But yeah, yeah. So so yeah, no, there's there's things. Yeah, considering Raceland
2: goes from being a neutral person to becoming a evil black mm-hmm. mage. Having the series have rape in it is not be a surprise to me. But I mean, it's been also years, decades since I've read that series. Right.
1: So, like so that. yeah, no, it's not. It's not as strong of a of a depiction of strong women as it could have been. Um, yeah. It's it's better than some other D and D novels we've read. If if you want, you want to damn it with faint praise, right?
2: <laughs> uh, the other the other characters that we have. Female characters, we have Tika, who's mm-hmm. rather meek and just learning, and she's young. To me, she feels very young looking for her looking relationship for, with Karaman. Uh, and then there is, uh, the, uh, the silver dragon.
1: Silvara? Silvara, yes, which we barely see. <laughs> Great. And that's one of the ones where where I feel like I don't know. I know they did a bunch of like side quest or, or spin off books and whatever mm-hmm. that explained some of the things they skipped. Um, sure. And I, I'm guessing there's more with Silvara, uh, but I've never read any of those, so I don't actually know.
2: That's not the CL for whatever I forget. No, that's
0: not the CL. Yeah, uh, that was the other.
2: That's when they come back with information from about the eggs uh, with the uh, sister. There is there is Slavara, who in book two we had, it had been revealed that she is a silver dragon, sister to the dragon Huma. Uh,
1: right. Right. right, So yeah. Who who has this similar sort of, uh, you know, in love with with um, Gelfanus, who also loves her but cannot acknowledge it because he's an elf and they're proud and they can't be with non-elves, The similar, which is similar to the love that Lorana had for Tanis back in the day. So, yeah. So anyway, uh, floats him, <laughs> right? Uh, uh, Tanis uh, escapes uh, Kitiara's bedchamber, so to speak, um, gets back with the party and is like, Stuff's going down, we got to get out of here, even though there's a massive raging storm going on. Uh, they find a ship that is willing to take them that also happens to have as its helmsman Baram the Everman, who we've met in those two cameos in the previous books, right? Um, which, ultimately, long story short, they they are pursued um, into the Blood Sea of Istar, where there is a giant red whirlpool in the middle of the ocean, and they... End up sailing into it as Kitiara, uh, on her Blue Dragon Sky, comes after them. Um, this is okay. also the moment when Raceland completely abandons them and goes off on a solo adventure for the rest of the story. Yeah, which became interesting because that—that's also when we learn some of the backstory of his um, testing at the High Tower at Wayrest. Uh, where you know Tannis is like, you're, there's no way you're going to abandon your brother to die, and Rayson's like, well, actually, uh, I, I've yep. kind of killed him before. Uh, let me tell you about the test wherein I killed my twin brother, who who is like the only person I care about in this world. So I am, I know for a fact I am perfectly capable of of this, and basically just teleports and and leaves the fight, and um, we don't see much of him. Well, we don't see him with the party again until like the very end, and even then, he's not really with the party. Like at that point, I feel like Raceland just became an NPC. <laughs> so, yeah, nobody's playing Raceland anymore.
2: Which, for your story, about maybe, maybe that, thats the point where the player who was playing Raceland now took over and started playing Baron.
1: Oh yeah, I see, I could see that. No, uh, to, to not not to skip ahead. But I felt like Barim was acting as an NPC for most of the story. Barim was telling his backstory. He was giving lots of exposition, but he wasn't really doing anything um, until they were prisoners in the temple at the end. And then all of a sudden Barim is like crushing draconian skulls against the wall and he's fighting back and he's taking a lot more agency. Uh, And so my thought was – you know, spoiler for later in the book, my thought was that when Flint died, that's when the player of Flint switched over and started playing Barrem. <laughs> that,
2: that also is fair too. Yeah.
1: So, so, so yeah, so they <laughs> end up in, in the Blood Sea of Istar. They were rescued. Some of, well, the party was rescued by sea elves. Apparently everybody else on the ship died, so the DM didn't have to deal with all those NPCs. Um, I, I empathize with that DM. Who kills off NPCs just because they don't have to play a whole stable of characters? Um, and they meet a red wizard who's been living in the bottom of the the Blood Sea, uh, wherein there are the ruins of the the old city of Istar that was destroyed in the cataclysm when the gods um, became angered with humanity and and withdrew and threw a mountain at the the world. Uh, and so this guy's down there living uh, because uh, the woman he loves, who is a sea elf, lives down there. Um, am I correct in the implication also that in, on Kryn, which is the world of Dragonlance, on Crin, all dolphins are sea elves?
2: That is what they seem to imply. I the mean, they
1: definitely said that sea elves turn into dolphins. My implication was that all the dolphins were sea elves, and that's, I guess, why they seem so smart.
2: There's a strong Well, yeah, don't <laughs> okay. say rules and I don't know your way okay. if, if, if it is all, or if it's most, or if it's a portion.
1: All right, but okay. So, so I enjoyed the the visiting of Istar. I enjoyed the the meeting of the Red Wizard down there. Uh, I don't remember that Red Wizard being. A thing in any other stories, but I kind of hope he is, or, or, you know, that we discover him later because he seems like an interesting juxtaposition to the only other Red Wizard we've met at this point, which is Raceland. Um, but then I think it's fair to switch over to the other group, which is Lorana Flint and Taz. Uh, and they are in the um, what's the, oh I forget the name of the city. Does anybody else remember that it's the, the like the the headquarters the capital of the of yeah, the is it Palanthus? Uh, Palanthas? Palanthas. Palanthas? Yeah. yeah I forget the name of the the kingdom but but they're there um, and and Lorana ends up like after the events of the last book. All of the leaders of the Knights of Salamnia um, have been killed. And they decide, well, the most the most uh, worthy sort of person we have left to lead this army is uh, a, somebody who's not even a knight and has never been a knight. Uh, so let's have Lorana take over as the new general, the new leader of the Knights of Salamnia. There's this whole debate about like, but can she do that? We've never had a woman be the leader, and somebody else is like, uh, "Yeah, we have. There have been women leaders. You just don't. It hasn't happened in your lifetime."
2: Yes, because uh, did, we are introduced by uh, the librarian,
1: Astinus. A- yeah, who's actually one of my favorite characters that I, I had forgotten about from the series. Um, <laughs> I kind of want to steal Astinus and, and put an Astinus, or maybe put Astinus himself, literally on every. World that I ever played D&D D- D- in. Somewhere there's a librarian writing down the stories of everything that happens in the world. Um, who's immortal? Is he, is he writing about the world or about the multiverse? Well, maybe there's just different astinuses, but they're all Astinus, right? And
0: that is that where we get like a connection between what still happened to Racelyn and everyone else, or did I make that up in and...
1: No
2: before we get to Lorena in the book we actually see what happened to Raclin where he wound up at the library at the steps yeah. of the library of, of Palantus, which apparently nobody but the aesthetics are supposed to go in but Astinus recognizes who it is and asks him to bring him in he wants to do some research about what's happening to him and all that and
1: well cuz presumably Astinus does that because Astinus knows what's going on with Raclin Right. He's aware. Yes. Uh, like you can imagine that, that for our perspective, it's like, hey, in book two, there's this weird voice talking in Raceland's head and we find out it's been happening to him ever since his testing at, at the Tower high tower of Weirith. Um, but, but. I can totally imagine in Astinus's notes. It's like, and that's when Fistendanlis started speaking to Race. Like he knows exactly who it is, uh, and, oh, yeah. you know, and and Fist and Fistendanlis's books are there in the library.
2: Um, well, also based on what FistBand says at the end oh, the yeah. fact based on the time <laughs> travel. Right you know, at the end of the book, spoilers. FistBand mentions a task that. Raceland, Caramon yeah. and Tashal and some others will go on a time travel adventure since Asinus records all time. Yes,
1: he's already experienced he, he's, he's already so, written yes, about Raceland yes. in the past. Yeah. And, yeah. I, I didn't even think about that. That's true. So he he knows exactly how important Raceland is and he has to like assuming he and and we are prescribing to the the version of time travel wherein you can't change anything. Um, yeah you know, Astinus has to let him in because he already did let him in in order for Raeislinn to go on the journey that would send him to the past. Um, yes. So there's no... He still has there. to be dramatic, right? Say, so, um, I'll, I'll see
2: him if he lives.
1: Right. Right. I mean, you just have to have the there. <laughs> yeah. And I like how Astinus like, he's not a jerk, but he's, you know, and he's not a bad person. But he's all, you can also tell, like, he's seen it all and he just doesn't care sometimes like i i don't care about your finery i don't care about your diplomacy i don't care about the you know uh sugar coating things you know cuz he's seen so much and he and he knows so much and he's been around for so long he's just like let's let's get to the point let's move on to the to the part where we where we get something done
2: i've been watching a lot of star trek lately and has felt a lot like a vulcan <laughs> yeah sure this is a just passionate, just logical. Here, there uh-huh, uh-huh. is a
1: fact. There you go. <laughs> well, because he's kind of over it and he knows that there's no consequences yeah. for him. He's just there to record it. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, so yeah, so that's so, where yeah, Raceland's right. at. Raceland is, is dying, um, in the, in the library, um, and slowly nursing, being nursed back to health, and, um, Allowed to when he becomes strong enough go into the stacks and and study the books that um that that lay the groundwork basically for the next story. Right? It's it's um he needs to get in what is it? He needs to get into the tower of high sorcery in Polanthus that nobody can get into. And he can't get in, nobody can get in because you need the key, and the key has been missing for, you know, however long. It, it, it was lost to time, way back when.
2: Yeah, well, the prophecy is the master of past and present can right. go in.
1: Right. Um, which, of course, is, is the first bit of foreshadowing of, well, if the key disappeared in the past, and he's the master of past and present now we know why the key disappeared as well, right? (laughs) It disappeared from the past because that's where he went to go get it. (laughs) So, yeah.
0: I don't want to do spoilers for the next book, but I need to know this. Is Raceland maybe not dying in the next three books? Because he's always almost dying. (laughs)
1: Um, Well, from
2: what what I recall, in the next series of books, he is not dying. And... There is still the relationship, and it's mostly deals with Caramon trying to get over, get over of not being with Raisin, and Raisin not me anymore. He's strong, he's good, right. he's in good health,
1: and Caramon right. cannot accept that. Well, and, and that kind of that kind of started at, by the end of this book, all right? Like like yes. shows up at the he end of this book, and it, he's exactly like, "I don't need that. you anymore, Caramon." But Caramon's been literally taking care of this guy his entire life. Uh, And and Raceland is still like physically frail, but he's not coughing and hacking and almost dying all the time, right? So no, Uh, I think as of the end of of this book, Raceland is not in a position of almost dying all the time. He he maybe almost dies a few times. But he's not almost dying all the time.
0: Well, cause you're like, he's all like now he's almost dying. And I was like, how is that different? Like I know why it's because, like it was really super bad. but like, really?
2: Right.
0: I think he just didn't want to go underwater.
1: Raceland can't swim. That's the issue. Well, and this is also this is the book where we also find out that, Raceland is no longer just Raceland. Raceland is both Raceland and this ancient evil wizard and at the same time.
2: I think and is his past self, and it's a big tiny.
1: Oh, is
2: it? I shenanigans.
1: Now I, I do got to read the, the Legend series again because my my recollection wasn't that it, that it was his past self, but maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> I've cer- I've certainly pulled that trick before with uh, in a D and D campaign. I had a warlock character whose patron ended up being himself having gone back to the past and, and lived, survived for several centuries to become his own patron.
0: And This is a section of the book. If So this is where I started to get lost um, mm. reading the book or the main place where I was lost because it did feel like maybe the chapters weren't linear in time to also play on what kind of what's going on. Is that kind of correct? I didn't. I got the same impression,
2: impression too. You did? I did. Yeah, there were some there some stuff that were a bit taken longer than others, mm-hmm. and they were just mm-hmm. trying to sink it back so at the end it can be all at the same time. But yeah. And,
0: and there were some things like revelations from the past that if you weren't listening or reading really closely, like, because I listened to it, right? So it's like if I missed that we suddenly had a transition and we're now talking about back when the eggs. Egg Dragon eggs were first collected, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, it could be easy to miss that. Well, and there's we're a lot of present day.
1: They spend a lot of time. Um, there, There's a lot of sort of exposition and flashbacks. You know, we get we, get, right, we flash yeah. back to the story of Baron, we flash back to the story of the eggs first being taken, we flash back to the story of the eggs turns out being used in this ritual that's creating the draconians, we flash back to the story of what happened to the tower. Um, and, and to the story of Lord Soth and to the story of, like we flat, do a lot of flashing back, it's a little bit like um, it's a little Tolkien-esque, right Tolkien really loved having people give long speeches about the history of the world um, in, in Tolkien's case in some ways that aren't necessarily super pertinent to the actual story that's going on but uh, um, but yeah, so there's a lot of that happening, I think, in this story and honestly, I remember, you know, and speaking of things being different than how I remember them, my recollection was that Lord Soth was a lot cooler uh, when I read it in my youth than he ended up being here. Like, Lord Soth um, is is basically the manservant to Kitiara uh, through much of the story, uh, you know. And that's, that's really his – he doesn't even gain his own sort of agency uh, until – almost the very end and even then he's still serving Kitiara and everything she says um so that's an, an interesting bit that like I remember him being a lot more badass um than he ends up being so I
2: wonder I wonder if he shows up in Dragonlance Legends and maybe that's where you're thinking of
1: maybe well and and I know he also I mean he goes so far as to, to getting his own domain in, in the myths of Ravenloft, Ravenloft and book yeah so so, yeah so there's a whole like people really like lord soth and he does a lot of stuff but i remembered that happening here and it he didn't do that stuff and wasn't really that badass here um so so yeah, yeah so but- any, anyway we get the, the story uh, that that's Raislin's story then we we get the story of Laurana, tass and flint who are working with the 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 good armies and the good dragons? The silver dragons specifically yeah, showed up to help, um, yeah. largely because Gilthanis went and figured out that you know the evil dragons aren't really holding your eggs hostage; they're killing them. They're killing your babies, yeah. so you better come and, and do something. But even then, it was mostly what silver and bronze or brass dragons that showed up. Like my thought was like, yeah. uh, and, and uh, is that the gold dragons are a bunch of jackasses? <laughs> right, it's like they're killing your baby well, we too. See, Where are you? We see one. Right, we see one. We right. see one. Uh, and they're the most powerful. Go. They should be jumping in on this thing.
0: <clears throat> so anyway, uh,
1: so yeah, so Lorana becomes the golden general, the leader of the Knights of Salamnia. Uh, Flint becomes a dra- becomes a dragon rider, but only for one battle, um, yeah. and then insists that he's never riding dragons again. That was horrible. Um,
2: well, there was also implications at that point in time that he was starting to have
1: heart problems. Yes, there were there were implications <laughs> that he was starting to have heart problems because um, he's old. He was always the sort of yes. old man of the group, um, even in, if for a dwarf. Uh, and so, yeah, so Lorana turns out to be a really accomplished general. Like under her leadership, they start pushing back the dragon armies. They start winning this war. Um, and then we run into a hiccup. What was it? kittiara sends a message to Lorana, basically saying, uh, "I've got, ta- I've got Tannis, and I'm willing to make an exchange for Tannis. You have one of my my generals or my leaders or whatever, uh, and I will make an exchange. You, I'll give you Tannis. You give me was it Baracus or whatever the the general yeah. name was, Bakaris yeah. and." and uh... I like effect the how they did it in
2: the writing because they did it in the writing beforehand after the ship had gone down. Mm. So we hadn't seen Tannis since then. We hadn't seen the underwater stuff which we talk about here. Right. But
1: so, so, did it? We don't know as a reader. And well, still- but and it, and it's also like it's all it's clearly Kitiara lying. But it's yeah. a it's a lie that works because she is also pretty sure that they haven't seen Tanis because she watched the yeah. ship go down that he was on right so clearly yeah. Tanis is dead uh, so I can tell this lie and nobody's going to contradict me on it because the guy that I'm saying is dead was lost at sea um, so yeah and so so Laurana's like well I can't let all that happen I'm going to go um, I'm going to go and 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 get Tannis back right. Uh, and so, Lorana goes exchange. and gets. What's that? Do the
2: prisoner exchange. Yes,
1: yes. Do the prisoner exchange. Uh, so and so, of course, Lorana is is captured. Now, Lorana is a prisoner of um, the Dragon armies. Uh, and that's about when um, Tannis and crew appear nearby Palanthas and end up going back to the city. Right. So oh, so.
2: Which probably is your, uh, yeah best. i
1: don't remember the again it's the names of everything i didn't i don't i listen to the audiobooks so i don't have like the maps like i used to pour over when i was a kid um yeah. but but the 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 long story short is that and honestly it wasn't that long of a story um they get back to land and they're not very far away from palanthas and so they go back to the city uh, and they arrive shortly after lorana has gone and been captured and so they set up their plan. We got to go get Lorana, and and the party minus Lorana, minus Guilfinus, minus um, Golden Moon and Riverwind. Golden Moon and Riverwind, who stayed behind because she's pregnant and thus cannot do important things. Yeah. In fairness, it's not presented that way. It's presented as we have to protect her baby. That's more important. <laughs> uh, but yes. Um. And minus Raceland, because he's back in reading Stop books. Yep. He's slowly turning evil uh, as he reads more of Fist and Dentalis's books, right? Um, but everybody else, because it's a large, as you said at the beginning, it's a large troop style game. Yep. Uh, everybody else gathers up and decides that they're going to ride the dragons and they're going to go and save Lorana. And on the way there, their dragons are attacked by Pyrite, the the ancient to the point of like half blind, half senile gold dragon who attacks them um, yeah. uh, on the spurring of Fizben, right? Yeah. Um, which is another one of those moments like Fizban shows up and does a thing that ends up being it ends up looking like something minor or something wrong, and it ends up being like a really big deal and really important, right? Yeah. There's the, there's this moment later on, like when they're like, because they're all pissed, like Fizbin, you're such a, a an idiot. Like, how did how dare you attack us? You ruined the whole plan. Our dragons flew away. Um, everything is ruined. And then later on, they're like wait a minute, if we had flown to Naraka on these dragons, we would have been dead before we hit the ground. So it turned out <laughs> it was a good thing we didn't go the way we did. It's almost like Fisbin knew what was going on and set it up that way. Um, Fisbin's story is one of the other stories that I remembered pretty well uh, from my youth. Yeah. The idea that that he's not, you know, because, you know, Spoilers be damned, right? Uh, Fisben is Pal- the god Paladine, but he's not the super meddling god who who sort of leads armies and commands his generals. He he pops up to the at the beginning of the story, and he asks somebody he asks Riverwind to sing or, or Goldmoon to sing a song, and that's where the entire adventure begins, right? He sort of puts yeah. them on the path. Uh, he shows up here, and he, he he is responsible for them no longer flying by dragonback. Uh, and that ends up saving their lives it also puts them on the path to go to God home uh, and learn a little bit more about what's going on and learn more of Barum's story um, and and that ultimately is going to to lead to ultimate success right he takes a real light yeah. touch of, of I'm just gonna sort of poke and prod and get people back on the path when they need to be on the path
2: in, in the adventure series fizzband does show up and he is described as an NPC character. He, he's never a PC, he's only a He's, he's described to the, the DM as a character that nudges people in the direction that you need to go for those by uh, doing some crazy, silly stuff. Right. right. Which you see in the book. That's, that's him. That that for God's when he leaves goes, Home, so I think they led him there too because he was expecting, feeling the fact that Flint is about to die and he need a place for oh. flight to go that's my impression that I got yeah he sort sense.
1: of he sort of leads them to a, this place cuz it's a what some sort of place of safety this this ancient ruins called god home that you know has this story has this name because it was by legend it was the the place where the gods lived or came into the world or whatever and it was incredibly hard to find and of course then how does Fisben know how to find it like you've had the hints for a long time that, uh, of of who Fisben is uh, but, but it's becoming more and more, um, clear what's going on with Fisben. Um, and so they get to God home, but somehow they got turned around and they got lost and Baram and, um, um, Flint actually find the path to God home first. And for some reason, Flint doesn't say anything. He just see- notices that Baram has left and follows him, um, and doesn't oh, like shout I, I, back I, I and say, "Hey, Baron, what's that?"
2: I thought that Baron like ran, and then yeah. uh, and then Flint had a burst of speed, sort of surprising
1: burst of speed, and, and caught and caught managed to caught up. Sure, but why but then, he did? But why he didn't shout over his shoulder as he was running after him? Hey, guys, Baron's running away. <laughs> I don't know. I, other oh. uh, other yeah. than it made it possible for for Flint to basically go and die of a heart attack. And by the time the rest of the party shows up, they see uh, Flint there dying at Barim's feet and Tannis goes nuts and, and assumes that Barim has killed Flint and, and stabs him with his sword runs him through. Uh, but of course Barim dies and then undies because he can, he's the everman; man. He doesn't die. Although Raceland indicates that he can die. Um, so, so, Flint dies, goes off to the to the astral plane to live with the gods. Um, and there's a sad touch, there's, you know, sad touching moments with that. Then it's back on to the temple uh, of Naraka. The place that Barim has this whole time not wanted to go to. Um, place where he was born. Yes. Well, in many, yeah, he was, he was born in a farming village or whatever near Naraka. Uh, it was in... Naraka that he first became what he is right they found he and his sister Josla found an old ruins uh, including these columns that had gemstones in it and he pulled a gemstone out and his sister uh, and his sister tried to stop him and she he like pushed her away or whatever and she fell and hit her head and died uh, and then there was a flash of light or whatever and suddenly the gemstone is embedded in his chest and her soul is trapped. There in the, the column, um, which is weird. the The whole Barum story it comes off a little inconsistent to me uh, because the the gemstone being removed from the column is kind of what locks the door and doesn't allow Taukasis to come back to the world, right? Okay, um, And so that's why he's so important. That's why the dragon armies are looking for him. Because Takasis wants him back to, to open the door. So that she can come back into the world. Okay fine. But then. The thing that finally banishes Takasis from the world. Is when he goes back. And dies there. At the column. With the gem. <laughs> which seems like. Is exactly what she wanted, and thus should have then opened the door and allowed her into the world. So I'm not entirely sure how that all makes sense. But does it make sense to anybody else? Well,
2: I figured that for if she got control of him, and there was a probably be a specific ritual to open up the door for her to come out. The way that he died instead, closed the door permanently, or or closed that door permanently.
1: Maybe it was all that for all the exposition and all the the backstory and all the explanation they gave for all of these things. Um, that was unclear and weird to me. <laughs> that the thing that she wanted, that Tacitus wanted, was the thing that happened and yet had the opposite result. Um, so I'm sure people will listen to this episode and and tweet or email me with all kinds of reasons why I'm wrong. And it was thoroughly explained that I must not have been listening carefully enough. But here we are. Tracy, you've been like, awfully quiet. Yeah. What'd you say?
0: I said it happens. Yeah. We sometimes listen wrong or read wrong.
1: Or or finish the book two, two weeks ago and, and forget chunks of it. I, <laughs> <laughs> I well, timed and I, I do remember this. Oh go ahead.
0: Oh go ahead you go ahead.
1: I was gonna say I timed it just right and managed to finish it literally this morning while I was eating breakfast.
0: Right. Yeah, because I also remember, though, there was more to, like, the whole sister thing, because at first it was he wanted to grab the gem because they were really poor and didn't have a lot to eat. But I thought they went to some, like, weird place with, like, being able to help her find a husband or something at some point of it. Like, it, it got weird how he felt about his sister if I recall correctly. I yeah, could be you
1: wrong. Might, you might be right. You might be right. I remember I was confused about the whole what happened to Barim thing and how did Dying do the thing. So I actually looked up um, on the Dragonlance wiki, like some of the story of Barim. And and one of the things they mentioned on the wiki is that there is some inconsistency with Barim's and Jocelyn's story as well. Um, you know, and and that at, in some stories, they are depicted as being twins, uh, just like Caramon and Raceland, but in other stories, they are depicted as him being uh, older than her, uh, and and there's all kinds of inconsistencies, <laughs> sort of in in his story, I guess. Uh, or or there are some there are some inconsistencies in that story. So, but yeah, I. I I I don't specifically recall that part of the story, but I I believe you. That definitely seems like something that seems vaguely familiar in the back of my head. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well,
2: Baron's story feels a lot mythological in nature, and mythology has always inconsistencies among themselves. That's so true. Children mm-hmm. things, stuff. The fact that Baron's story is inconsistent is like okay, well, that's how it is. <laughs> so.
1: So we skipped ahead to to Barum dying, but meanwhile, um, the party, uh, before that, the party went into Naraka um, posing as um, dragon officers with prisoners uh, and being caught lying. Because what, Karaman and and Tannis were supposed to be the, the dragon officers and everybody else was the prisoners. And they were like, ah, we're all full up on prisoners. Go ahead and just kill them. And they kept trying to push it and, and come up this is the kind of exact sort of thing that that felt like a gaming group to me right they they had a plan it wasn't a horrible plan it's a bit of a cliche plan but it's not a horrible plan um, but the 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 situation is such that the plan really never had that great of a chance of success um, but you had to sort of, they had to sort of play it by ear and and think on their feet which is also feels true to a, a DD game um,
2: yeah well so, yeah. the situation the situation that where it was no, not really working is because apparently in Moraka it's the Dragon High Lords convention as all the Dragon High Lords are coming in right. <laughs> to have a big huge meeting with the, the Queen of Darkness before right. their final act.
1: Yeah, yeah. So so they get ca- they get caught, um, but Kitiara shows up because as you said, the Dragon High Lords are all coming to town. Um Kittyara shows up and is like, oh, no, he's totally with me and plays along because she wants to manipulate things or whatever and and basically takes Tanis and the others get all sent to the dungeon because um, nobody wants to piss off Kittyara. She's arguably, what, at this point, second in command in the Dragon Armies after Ariakas. yep uh, Who has named himself Emperor, the Dragon Emperor. Um. Yeah, so, so, and, and she makes a deal with Tanis like, hey, I'll let you have Lorana. I know that's why you came. I know that's all that's important to you. I'll let you have her. Uh, but you have to be with me. You have to come and work for me. You have to serve, uh, Takisis. That's, that's going to be the rest of your life. And he, you know, fine. That's, if that's what it takes, then that's what I'll do. Um, and, and, that is going more or less as planned. Meanwhile, down in the dungeons, uh, Baram, Karaman, um, um, Tanis, and Tika um, manage to escape when Baram goes crazy and starts killing people because he's being called by his sister down to the column where we know what's going to happen. And so he, Baram and Karaman go down to the column, whereas Tika and Tana, Taz try to escape and... Um, and you, we are reminded of the visions they had from the dragon orb. Was that in book two? Book
2: two, I yes. Think it was, yeah. The start of book two, the dream with uh, Cyan...
1: Cyan Bloodbane.
2: Blood... Bloodbane. Yeah.
1: Which is a dragon who shows up every now and then. He shows up twice in this book. There's one where he just like makes an appearance and and he was he was a naughty dragon and got locked up uh you know in the in the dragon dungeons or whatever being punished um for for pissing off Tarcus or whatever um and then it turned out that by the end it turns out that that you know maybe there was a good reason for that and he ends up teaming up with with Raslin um mm-hmm. Instead of Takasus. Uh, so yeah, so those those bunch are, are doing their things down in the dungeon. Tanis is being basically sworn in, in front of, of Takasus, who manifests in herself, and he has to go and lay his sword at the feet of um, Ariakas and swear his fealty to, to Takasus. And, and um, he starts... Second guessing, maybe, you know, either way, maybe I'm going to die. Maybe this is going to go hor- horribly for me that uh, uh just promised Lorana to Takasis anyway. So I'm not going to get what I want out of this. Maybe instead of swearing fealty to Takasis, I should just run Ariakas through uh, and finish him uh, and at least do a little damage to the dragon armies before before I'm killed. Uh, and then a shadowy figure sort of appears to him and tells him to do it. Says that I will, I will take care of, of Ariakas' magical protections. You cut him down. You finish him. And and we come to realize that this is the return of Raceland, now wearing the black robes. Um, and so he does. He he kills Ariakas. The crown falls to the ground. He he goes for it. Soth goes for it. Um, he has to promise to give it to Kidiara. He uses it as, like, I'll give it to Kidiara, but you have to let me take Lorana from here. And Lorana's like, I-, I don't need your help, dude. I got this. And <laughs> and, and kind of pushes Tanis away and does her own thing, right? Yeah. Um, then Barum dies. I'm just imagining. Oh, go ahead.
0: Just imagining Mortal Kombat. Finish him.
1: Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, and then Barum dies, and the entire temple starts to fall apart as as Takasis is barred from this world, uh, presumably for well, all time.
0: Because a, a big part of that is that whoever owns the crown, or holds the crown, is the leader. Right. So the crown becomes really important. That's why Kittyara wants it now that she can have, potentially have it. Uh, and... Why Tannis doesn't want to hold on to it because every he's just going to have a target on his back the whole entire time. Right. Which, and so some people are. So you're saying? Oh, go ahead. No, 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 go. I was going to say some people were fleeing because they they don't even want to touch it, and other people are like, "I want that thing."
1: Right. <laughs> yeah. Which which if you're ever setting up a, a government, um, owning a piece of property is a really really stupid way to set up your government. Like it shouldn't matter who physically possesses this physical object of the crown. That's a dumb reason to, to make somebody in charge of your entire country, your entire empire. Um, especially when they have dramatically different ideals than, than your people. Right. Like Tannis is a good guy, but he's like, but if I get the crown, I can order them all around and they'll have to follow me. Like yeah. that seems stupid. You should just run him through and take the crown. <laughs> but here we are. Um, so yeah, so, so Tannis works his way out. Meets up with Lorana. They have their moment. Um, Kittyara, at the last moment saves him, right? She she was going to – she shows up with her sword drawn and, and it has both draconian and human blood on it. And there's this whole moment and you think she's a threat and she's the big bad boss fight at the end of the adventure, right? And then she tells them, like, go down into the dungeons. There's a secret passage out here that you can use to get away. Um. <laughs> And, and they do, and that's where they meet up with and save uh, Tika and Taz, who had been poisoned slash beaten up by Draconians, um, as well as finding Karaman, and they work their way out. And the Dragon Empire is is in shambles and leaderless, uh, more or less. Uh, I guess Kitiara's got the crown now, presumably. Um, uh, Karaman was... Saved by his brother, in the meantime. Yeah, that's right. Because uh, Raceland was also like the final guardian to getting to the column where where Barum died, uh, and so by conf- by Karaman confronting Raislin, Barum was freed from from Raislin's grasp, and that's how he was able to get to the, the column and and do his thing. <laughs> that's right. Uh, but ultimately, at the end, the the Dragon Empire falls apart more or less. Um, everything is in ruins. Kittyara has her plan to go and take one of the flying citadels and, and reestablish herself. Um, but I guess, yeah, I got to find out what happens with that later. Um, Karaman and Tika want to go back to Solace and, and, and re, you know, and live life there. And, and Taz finds out from Fisbin that he's got more adventures to go on, but Taz doesn't seem to care about that. Um, and, and, Tannis is going to dedicate his life to trying to I don't know, prove to Loriana that he's worthwhile again. Is that more did I miss anything? That's a lot. 16 hours.
2: Uh Bloodblade Bloodblade gives a lift to uh Raiceland and he enters okay. at the end the tower of high sorcery. Yeah, that's right.
1: He goes into um, the tower of high sorcery. He takes the black robe that's been fluttering on the the yeah. gate there for you know a hundred years or whatever. He takes that robe off the the gate uh, and declares himself the master of past and present, and that he should be allowed to enter. And I think that's where the second trilogy sort of picks up with him.
0: Yeah,
1: I didn't even, I didn't even like. I recognize that tower. I recognize the importance of that tower. I know. Who's in that tower? But I had forgotten that that didn't make an appearance in this story at all. <laughs> I thought it was going to pop up at some point. So, yeah, that's that's the story more or less, right? And normally we would go through and talk about, like, how might this be of interest to the D&D crowd? But I think it's pretty self-evident since it was written as a D&D adventure and novel at the same time and how it functions. Um, there's a lot there that's very d and ish right? We have – we had what? Two character two major characters from the beginning of the story die before the end of the story? Because so we've lost Storm and we lost Flint. Hmm. That was part yeah. of the original party. Yeah. But everybody else kind of makes it out, don't they?
0: Yeah, much lower death count than Game of Thrones.
1: <laughs> well, that's not a that's that's a, a whole different part <laughs> <to> of each, right? <laughs> <laughs> If if that's the comparison, is is there many many stories that where they're even comparable to the main character death count uh, than Game of Thrones? What did I find interesting about the Dragonlance is that at
2: the, in the end, it's not really the heroes that go and beats up it, the evil; it's the evil that eats up among themselves and start mm-hmm. fighting among themselves and destroying themselves, mm-hmm. which was different than other D&D books that yeah we've read
1: well it's like it's, it's like I, it's like I mentioned like you, you see Kittyara in that moment and you think okay here's the big boss fight because in my mind from the beginning Tanis is kind of the main character of the story right like clearly at other times he's not but he's sort of set up in, in the beginning as your your point of view character in chapter one yeah. or whatever uh, and so as soon as as soon as I read chapter one of a story, whoever the point of view character is in chapter one, kind of in my mind becomes the main character. Uh, yeah. And, and so Tanis is kind of the main, main character. And then yeah. Kitty Ar shows up and she's the main villain. And so this is going to be the big boss fight. And then it's not, but, but the good guys, the heroes have behaved in such a way. They've done the things necessary to basically like evil, empires work so long as there is a, a power strong enough to scare everybody into in, into line, right? But with the death yeah. of Ariakas and the, the sealing away of Takasis, there is no th- nothing left strong enough to hold yeah. evil together, and it, it falls on in on itself. Yeah.
2: yeah. One thing that I'm, there's a slight disappointment is that the, the big flying fortresses, they're mentioned, they show up briefly, but you don't really... See yeah. them. It's, yeah. And, I, mean, I, I, wonder, I wonder if there's anything in, 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 the, in the other novels that deal more with them. But and it
1: seems like, I mean, they describe it as like somebody magically ripped an entire castle out of the, the ground and now it flies around. And I'm like, that seems like a huge feat of magic. And magic in the dragon armies does not seem to be, like, they don't seem to have super powerful magic users, <laughs> yeah. you know? Uh So that is a little weird that, like, they had the magic necessary to tear these things out, tear castles out of the ground and, and fly around the continent. Yeah. Where are those mages? And why aren't they, like, throwing fireballs and lightning bolts all over the place in the middle of, of a battle, you know?
2: And... Another thing I found in, the, in the, the series is that it starts out with there's no gods, and then six months later there's like seems to be an overabundance of gods and clerics and just talking about it and fully accepting them rather than it being, oh, it's new. It's-
1: well, there's, yeah, the, the, I mean, by the end they're not talking about the gods being new anymore. You don't yeah. – are, are there clerics in the third book at all? I don't remember any clerics in the third book. Well, there was – at least, you know, in
2: the evil army, there's talk about clerics. I suppose.
1: Uh,
2: which, they're, since they're, they probably knew about the, the gods beforehand right. because they were building up, I that makes sense.
1: I, I feel like book one is, the gods were gone, but they have returned. Book two yeah. is, and now we get to see the the beginning, the, the, the seeds being planted of, of priesthoods growing again. And book yeah. three is let's ignore the fact that priesthoods are growing again because now the gods are on stage. Like you see yeah. Paladine, yeah. you see Tarkasus. Yeah. Uh, you don't see like um, Riorix or or any of the others, but you like you meet uh, Astinus, who who is not a god but like is an immortal who who serves the gods. Right. Uh, so yeah. the immortals, the celestials take the stage and the clerics kind of become non-issues other than the evil ones. So it's right. interesting. I and mean, you're not wrong. Like if you track the whole story, I think, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like what six to nine months total from beginning yeah. of the story was, to the it's end. Three seasons. Right. So. so it's a, it's a, it's a huge, like a lot mm-hmm. happens real fast with the gods. Like when yeah. they come back, they kind of flooded back real quick. They gone. They went from nobody believes the gods exist to oh look, there's one over there in like six months. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that would be a dramatic change, uh, I imagine, in the world.
2: It would be. It would be a big change.
1: Well, I thoroughly enjoyed um, going through this again, warts and all. Um, I enjoyed going back and being able to actually get the story that I clearly didn't remember at all from my youth. and and consume it with a more mature perspective Um, to the point that now I, I want to go through and read the legends books as well and see if my memories on those, those sort of stand up. But um, as, as I mentioned before we started recording, I only have two credits left on audible and I don't, that's not enough to pick up the series and we still have more books to read uh, this year for the book club. So um, I'm going to probably hang on to those and maybe maybe uh, hope to read those again later someday.
0: So what I'm hearing is I'm at least safe through the end of this year.
1: Well, yeah, well, right. I mean, we had talked about <laughs> at one point, we talked about going through the rest of this series in the same way we did um, um, the Magnus Chase series. Uh, and Tracy was not super eager to, to be inundated with that much Dragonlance all at one time. Uh, which is fair. Um, in in a yeah, so. way, both series are itself
2: like the Dragonlance Chronicles is its own series. The Dragonlance Legend is its own series. Yes, there were
1: connections, but it, it... well, and again, I, I I think because in my mind the only story that mattered was Reislin, um, In which case, they're not two series. If you're if you're following Raceland's story primarily, <laughs> it's one series of six books. You know, so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'll be, I'll be curious to, to get back into that someday, whether it's for the book club or just on my own. All right. Well, let's go ahead and call that the end of our episode. So it is time to say goodbye. We want to say thanks to our sponsor, Golder's Gazetteer, uh, for supporting us for a few months and for all of our patrons at patreon.com slash the tome show, uh, and anyone who otherwise supports the, the community, uh, that we have.
0: And if you'd like to contact us, you can email us at thetomeshow at gmail.com. You can use our biz line, 919KidsTome. Do we still have that, Jeff?
1: I uh,
0: don't whatever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can uh, find me at Sarah Dark Magic on Twitter. That's Sarah with an H and SarahDarkMagic.com. You can find Jeff on Twitter at Squatch, S-Q-U-A-C-H. You can find Eric at EricMpack, E R I C. M-P-A-Q the show is at the Tome Show and you can find us on Facebook Patreon and Discord we are pretty lively on Discord these days every, uh, every now and then
1: uh, it comes yeah. and goes right sometimes we're it, it is the conversation is going a mile a minute and sometimes it's not it's actually one of the things i really appreciate our discord is that we're not so big that it's just constant inundation of of me getting lost in things right we can have good meaningful conversations um, uh, and really talk about a lot of things really well and get good participation but it's not just a non-stop barrage of conversation that i get lost in um,
0: and they can watch us live as we record the episode on twitch.tv slash Tome Show. Or watch the video after the fact on the Tome Show's YouTube channel. Show notes and other great shows are at, are at thetomeshow.com.
1: So that is our thoughts on Dragons of Spring Dawning. Next up in August uh, of 2021, we will be reading Children of Virtue and Vengeance by Tony, Tomi Adeyemi. Uh, until then, keep turning the page, Tomites.
0: The oh, walk. Wow.